Hello, Quebec, Canada, and maybe the world. You are listening to For He Must Reign, and I am your host. They call me Treebeard, and today we'll be discussing the subject of Woke Church, the book Woke Church by Eric Mason. It'll be a little bit controversial, right? Um, you know, this is a touchy subject, but I mean, when have I ever been <laughs> controversial or stepped on anyone's toes on touchy subjects, right? Uh, we don't shy away from difficult issues. Uh, I don't do that on this show. Uh, I do believe that we need unity. But in order to have unity, we need to be able to discuss the things that are divisive. And we need to find our unity in Christ. If our unity is something that comes about from avoiding these issues, uh, then that is not true unity. That is just uh, cowardice. It's cowardice and it's it's being described as unity, but it's passivity, it's passivity, passivity, you know what I'm trying to say. It's being passive and it's not helpful and the world, the world wants answers to these questions and so Christians should be willing to discuss them. So I read the book, uh, Woke Church by Eric Mason and the reason I did that was because I want to engage with the book, but I also want to treat it fairly, right? Like I don't like it when someone is unfair with their treatment of theological positions that I hold, right? So an example of this is I believe in the abiding validity of God's law in its entirety in the new covenant, right? And that, that might be an episode for the future because a lot of people, they, they have all sorts of wild ideas when they hear that. Um, but uh, the, 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 the theological name for that belief that system of belief is called theonomy and you know one of the things about theonomy is theonomists actually have to spend more time writing what we don't believe because of misrepresentations from our opponents who haven't read our material or they have read it and don't are, are disingenuous in the way they represent us right it's something that we have to deal with constantly and so we, we spend more time doing that than actually being able to explain our position and we have tons of books of, of great material on how to deal with this issue and how we deal with that issue and it just sort of gets ignored and never really dealt with because we have to spend so much time responding to the same old debunked arguments and, and the problem is these arguments are rarely new arguments they're usually arguments we've already dealt with uh, but our opponents haven't taken the time to read our arguments let alone sometimes even just the original position uh, and so we, we get misrepresented. And so I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, something Dr. James White does is he always likes to read his opponents before addressing them because you want to make sure that you properly represent the person you're speaking to. If you want to actually be impactful to the person you're speaking to or to the audience who's listening to you address that person, you want to make sure that you properly represent them. Because uh, it's just not going to help anybody if you're speaking to a straw man that uh, straw man position that nobody holds. And so I, I took the time to read the original material, and I want to make clear that I am addressing Eric Mason's positions as laid out in this book. And I know he said some um, wild things in his sermons. You guys can look that up. Um, but uh, I, I'm, addressing, I'm addressing what, what was in the book specifically uh, from a biblical worldview, and I'm sort of going to challenge some of, those, some of those ideas that he, he brought out. So I want to make it clear that I'm addressing his position, because oftentimes what can happen, 
is when Christians try to address the woke church movement, they sort of lump everyone together as if there's no nuance between positions. And then, you know, when you get a guy on your show, like uh, A.D. Robles had um, uh, had KB on and another guy too. I, I don't remember the other guy's name. But, uh, you know, they, they were talking about the woke stuff and, and, you know, KB was just able to say on multiple occasions, okay, so you claim I believe this. Where did I say that? Right? And A.D. was like, oh, well, you, you don't, maybe you didn't say that specifically, but... Uh, I know people from your side of the aisle say that, right? And, and so that might be true. And don't get me wrong, I actually, I actually like uh, A.D. Robles' stuff. But at the end of the day, it, it, it puts you in a position where you look like you're speaking out of term, like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, another thing that can happen, like uh, Marcus Pittman had a great interaction with Ruslan recently. And, you know, Ruslan basically said to him can you define whiteness for me and i mean of course marcus can define whiteness but it depends who you're talking to right there's nuance in the positions and so you want to make sure that when you deal with a person's position you're dealing with what they believe you want to be able to quote them give examples of that and ask them hey what do you mean by this and and then and then you can you you know if they're being disingenuous if they're being dishonest you can watch them squirm but what you do if, if you generalize and treat the woke position as one position, what you do is you actually open yourself up to uh, being dismantled because all they, need, all they need to do is say, well, define wo- whiteness for me or define wokeness for me. And, um, you know, no matter what you say, they can just squirm out of it and say, yeah, but that's not what I mean. Right, so you want to make sure you deal with the the positions in front of you, and and sometimes I know that can be hard because, in the woke movement, people can kind of be like Jello, a little bit hard to nail down. But um, one of the ways we can do the best job possible is to read the material and then deal with that written material because now you have something in writing from that author, and unless they say, "I've changed my mind on that position," you can hold them to that. Right, you can really you can hold them down to that. Uh, something I learned from Dr. James White, and something I've noticed from other guys like Dr. Joel McDermott, someone who I, I differ with very frequently on these issues, um, he'll often ask people, okay, well, you know, you're, you're, you're criticizing critical race theory, define it. And then he'll just watch people squirm, right? Because they, they, they can't define it because they, they are dealing in generalities. You have to deal with each person's one-on-one, I think, for the woke news movement. I think that's how we're going to be able to tease out these ideas is to treat people's positions as their positions. An example of this is back to the theonomy one. Somebody recently tried to hold me to a position that um, R.J. Rushdoony, a famous theonomist, had on the Westminster Confession. And he was saying, well, because R.J. Rushdoony held to that and he was sort of the big heavy hitter for theonomy early on, uh, therefore that is the official theonomist position. He left no room for nuance. And, and I feel no obligation to defend a position I don't hold. And that's all I had to do was just sidestep and say, sorry, it's not my position. I don't feel any obligation to defend it. And when we deal with the woke church, we want to make sure we deal with their arguments. Otherwise, they can do the exact same thing and leave us sort of in the dust looking, looking foolish. And I don't say that to uh, put down my brothers and sisters who've, who've done the work uh, that you know, a lot of them whose backs and shoulders I'm standing on because they put down the work, and, and here I am coming along, 
um, working off of what they laid down for me, standing on their foundation. I love uh, Marcus Pittman. I love A.D. Robles. I love these guys. I listen to them. But uh, it's just something I've noticed. It's, it's maybe a spot where we could work on uh, that leaves ourselves open to not looking um, like we know what we're talking about here. So I'm going to deal with Eric Mason's specific position as laid out in the book, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.15 says we must judge all things, right? And so I want to judge this book, but what standard do we want to judge all things by, right? Because I could just judge things by my opinion. Eric Mason could judge things by his opinion. But the standard we want to make sure we judge things by, the by what standard, the answer to that question, needs to be the Word of God, His law, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuke, uh, sorry, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God would be equipped for every good work, right? All of it, that's 16 and 17, right? So we would be lacking in nothing if we lean on the law of God, on the word of God. That's the standard we want to use. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Right, So Jesus says, actually, the standard of truth by which we can know what is true, what is good, what is false, what is, you know, uh, what is, what is um, evil, uh, what is, you know, what is right, what is all that stuff, is, is God's word. He starts with God's word, and he says, it is the truth. And he prays that God would sanctify us by that truth, by the word. Right? So when we, when we are told to judge all things, we're to judge things by the standard of God's word, God's law, Psalm 1. Right, The blessed man is not the one who sits in the seat of scoffers. It's not the one who gets advice and counsel from the wicked. But it's the one who meditates on God's law day and night. Right, That person is like a tree that's planted by a river. It's rooted. right, And everything it does, it prospers well. Right? And, and the wicked aren't so because they, they, they just go with whatever their opinion is. They judge what's the standard they judge by, what seems good to me. Right? Uh, pra- pragmatism or, or um, sometimes, uh, uh, well, I did a whole episode on this. I won't get into all of that. But the point is the wicked will judge, the, the ungodly, the unrighteous, they're like chaff. They just blow around. Whatever, whatever seems good to me, man, that works for me. Wait, we don't want to do that. We want to judge this book by the standard of God's word his law right so i want to lay down then a foundation since this book is talking about justice and race and all those things i want to discuss justice and race from a biblical viewpoint like we want to make sure that we use biblical definitions and and we 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 look at this through the lens of a biblical worldview so you know when we talk about biblical justice and and i've spoken about sphere sovereignty you can actually have a whole episode on that. I'm not going to get into the whole thing now because it'll take up too much time. But you can go back and listen to the episode Romans 13, Sphere Sovereignty. It's actually a fan favorite. I've gotten multiple, I say fans, like I'm this big famous guy with all these fans. But I've gotten multiple messages from people who listen to the show, regular listeners who loved that particular episode. Uh, One guy uh, I'm thinking of particularly said, this is the, the, the spearhead to the... The series, I think it was the word. I don't remember how he said it exactly, something like that. But I got a lot of messages about that one. So you can go back and check it out. And it breaks down that in God's uh, view of governance, God's view of 
government, there are, are spheres of government. There's the government of family, the government of church, and the government of civil, like civil government, the civil magistrate, that kind, that kind of deal, right? And then, you know, there are different spheres of education, whatever, if you want to get really into that Kuyperian th- um, school of thought. Um, so that is a biblical view of, of justice, and each one of those are given particular responsibilities. Like the family is given children, and it's given, you know, uh, marriage, and it's given things like that. The church is not given those things. Like the church can't come to me and tell me how to raise my kids unless I'm in sin. Because the church has been given church discipline, right? The dealing of sin. The church has been given the sacraments, right? The communion, the worship, uh, the, the worship of, uh, the, the com- like the sort of, um, congressional worship we do, the, those sort of things, the, the protection of orthodox belief, orthodoxy, right? So that's, those things have been given to the church. The church has been given the poor, the widow, the sick, right? These are things we do as the church. And then the government has not been given the poor, the sick, and the widow. Uh, contrary to what we think today, the government has been given the sword. The government's sole judge uh, job, according to God's law and Romans 13, is he bears the sword against the evildoer and rewards the righteous. That's it. Right? And everything the government does, he will do with the sword. So if he takes care of the poor, he, it's because he took the, the materials to do that by the sword from other people. Right? We'll, ta- uh, we'll tax you to take care of the poor. If you don't pay your taxes, we'll put you in jail. If you resist, resist, uh, resist arrest, you get the sword. Right, because that is the tool God has given the government. He's given them the sword, and so that's the only tool by which they can function. Right, the mercy, uh, uh, the mercy of the wicked, is cruel. Right, because they can only the, the government can only take things from the sword. Right, so their generosity is actually um, theft. So that is a biblical view of justice. One of the things we need to be careful of is that we don't show partiality. Partiality, according to Leviticus 19.15, which says, is injustice, right? It it, it classifies it as injustice. If non-partiality is justice, then partiality is injustice. We're told to have equal weights and measures. Proverbs 11.1 says, for example, and Proverbs 20.10 also says, right? And also later on in Proverbs 20, verse 23, it says, and these are just a few examples. This, the, the scripture is, 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 complete, is full of examples of this. Like Unequal weights and measures are an abomination to our God. He wants us to judge people equally. He wants one law for all people applying equally across the board. Exodus 12, 49 tells us, right, and that's also in Leviticus 24, 22, which says, right, and so in God's justice, right, there are spheres of sovereignty, Right? The family isn't to take up the sword. That's vigilante justice. The church is not to take up the sword. Right? Because then we get these sort of weird church states. And the government isn't supposed to take the church's job, which is sort of what we have going on today where the government runs the church. In the past, we've had the church running the government. Right? And then in some instances, you have the family running the church, which is sort of those weird patriarchal cults you find. Right? Um... There are different spheres of government, civil church and family, and they each have certain sets of responsibilities. We're supposed to be impartial, right? Having one law applying equally. That's the foundation, right? That's what we want to stand on when we look at civil government. What is justice? 
what is injustice. We want to look to God's law and say one law equal equal measures for all people. Okay? So moving on, biblical racial reconciliation, the biblical view of race, right? So I want to start off actually by laying out a Darwinian, I would say, what is the most common view today of race, right? We, we say things like Black Lives Matter. We say, we say things like uh, uh, Stop Asian Hate. That was a hashtag going around for a while, right? But what, what is the foundation we're standing on when we say those things? Because Christians should say those things. Christians should say, yes, Black Lives do matter. They're created in the image of God, right? That's our identity is found in the image of God, right? But what is the unbeliever standing on? Well, we know that the dominant view today is a Darwinian view of evolution, right? The Darwinian view of race is that we actually all evolved and some races are more evolved and superior than others. That's just a matter of fact, right? You've, you've all heard the book Origins, right, by Darwin? Well, you might not know that, or Origins of Species, right, for the uh, longer name. But you might not know the actual longer name is Origins of Species by Means of Natural Selection and the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. So actually this view of a race, this view of like black people are a different species or race of me, this isn't even a biblical concept. It's not scientific either. Vody Baucom does a great job breaking that down in his sermon, One Blood. I highly recommend you go listen to that. But it's actually a Darwinian view of race that says, hey, so uh, there's different colors and different races, and we are made up of different stuff uh, in, in a sense of we're all basically plants and snails anyways, but we are made up of different stuff in the sense of some things are inferior and some things are superior in terms of survival, might, wit, pure, sheer um, strength and force. Who gets to, to move on? It's the greatest race. It's the most evolved, right? Uh, in, in Hitler's view, that was the Aryan race. Right, that was a very Darwinian view. Survival of the fittest, eliminate the lesser evolved. Right? KKK, the Southern Baptist Convention for a while. Even That's right, even in the church, Christians have bought into this view of race, of you're different than I. We shouldn't, like we have kinism. Kinism is a, is a view in the Christian church. It's a disgusting view that interracial marriage is wrong. And I say that's disgusting as someone who's in an interracial marriage. What a vile doctrine. And, and it's a view that doesn't come from the Bible, but it comes from allowing secular Darwinian views of race to come into the church. And we've adopted these things from the culture because we're ashamed of what the Bible says about creation. We want to seem, quote-unquote, more scientific. So we adopt the fool's uh, and the fool is just the biblical word for the unbeliever. It's not an insult. Uh, you know, the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, no God for me, right, in Proverbs. So it's, it's just a person who denies the existence of God. Um, so we adopt the fool's perspective on race, and, and then we allow that into the church because we want to seem more hip and relevant or whatever to the world. We don't want to be laughed at for believing in the creation story, and we actually bring in all this baggage that comes with it because ideas have consequences. And that's just a matter of fact. And so, um, you know, in the Bible, let's cross-examine that against the biblical view of, of, of a race. There is only one race. 
And again, for more on this, go listen to that sermon by Vodi Baucom, One Blood. I think it's terrific. There is one race where all sons and daughters of Adam, Genesis 1, 27 to 28, tells us, right? And so, and if you don't believe that, you know, because you're like, oh, you know, you have this weird view of Genesis that's popular today, that's more poetic or whatever, uh, you know, maybe God didn't only make Adam and Eve, maybe there were other other human beings that he put down the earth too, so we're not all necessarily views, you know, uh, from Adam. Again, this comes from an evolutionary worldview, guys, this idea that, oh, that explains races, because Adam wasn't the only person on the earth. Trying to reconcile secular myths uh, and cute little stories with biblical truth that this is what we end up with right but if you hold that perspective that adam wasn't the only person on the earth whatever well then uh, you know you still don't escape the fact that we're all the same race because when god destroyed the earth with the flood the only people who remained was noah and noah was actually given the same cultural mandate as as adam to fill the earth right in genesis 9 1 it tells us that the only people who survived was noah it says Right, and so if we didn't all come from Adam, which we did, but let's just play the devil's advocate, then you can't escape that we all came from Noah. Right, and so the promise in Scripture is not, uh, well, the idea of of race in Scripture is not that we are all a bunch of different races evolve differently, uh, some better than others, but it's actually that we are one race, all sons and daughters of Adam, and that there are different tribes and tongues and nations, like we see that in Babel, right? When God separated people by language and, and stuff like that and put them all over the place. Um, <clears throat> but the promise of Scripture is that all the tribes, tongues, and nations would be brought together, right? Micah 4.2 says, for example, right? And Matthew 28, 18-20 says... Right? That's the Great Commission. It's get all the nations. And then Revelation 7, 9. Right? And so this idea that like, you know, we're just a bunch of races and we need to learn how to treat each other differently because black people are this way and white people are that way and whatever. Like there might be cultural differences because there are t- tribes, tongues, and nations. But the biblical promise is that we're to be brought together as one people of God. Our race was race of Adam, and now we are race of Christ. We have a new headship, and that is Christ, and we are brought in together regardless of color. Now, that is not to say colorblind. That's not to say I don't see the beautiful melanin in my wife's skin color, who's much darker than me, or my children's skin color, who are darker than me. That's foolish. That's that's just an overcorrection of the... Um, woke stuff but but at the end of the day the fact of the matter is that the concept of race is a man-made construct now we know that what that, that we i make that distinction because we can use word, the word like race in a christian way when what we mean is tribes and nations and we, you know we mean you know someone of a different color or background than us okay we can mean it in that way but i want to differentiate here and and let people know what the origins 
the, the reason is we can use the same language as the unbeliever and mean different things. You can say social justice as a Christian, and you mean how the Bible defines social justice, and it does. The word is, is in there, literally. <clears throat> or, But when the world says it, what is the foundation they're standing on? So I kind of want to get to the question behind the question. What are you standing on when you say that? What do you mean? When you reach out to a Mormon and you say Jesus, you don't mean the same thing. Right, so you want to get behind the definition, uh, behind the word, and to the definition, so we can be clear about what we're talking about here. So all nations are going to be brought into submission to Jesus. His law, his one law, remember, one equal law applying to all people, would be the standard by which we deal with injustice and race issues. That's the standard we're going to move forward into dealing with Eric Mason's book. And our differences would be put aside as our new identity is finding Christ, right? So when I say our differences put aside, I don't mean not acknowledging, like I said before, that we can be different colors or have different food or cultures or types of music where we're from, coming from, right? Uh, I was doing Filipino music for years. I love Filipino music, the classic stuff and the new stuff. And that's very, it is different, although modernly it seems to be more westernized uh, but it is different historically when you look at what was popular in the Philippines and what the influences were it is different than here in Canada so is Irish music so is you know there are differences but I, what I mean is we don't allow those differences to become our identity our identity is found in Christ we can enjoy those things, but if they become our identity, we make the mistake of, of the creature, the created thing, becoming the God. The, the classic Romans 1 mistake of idolatry. And so we're running about 25 minutes, and I'm only about halfway through my presentation. So I think I'm going to have to split this up into two parts. I'm going to continue uh, proceeding into the book next week. So, um, you know, I'm glad, you know, uh, and, and if, you, if you tune in next week and, and, and you were somebody who didn't listen, I'm going to tell you to come back to this episode because these foundations are going to be what I'm standing on to proceed into my, my um, criticisms of the book, my judgments of the book. I had to lay down this foundation so you can understand where I'm coming from. Um, I want to make sure that I'm being clear and that I'm being as fair as I possibly can. So, uh, part two will be next week, and I will go into the book. I'm going to examine some of Eric Mason's ideas, his theories, his solutions, and I'm going to see how do they cross against what the Bible says about these things and how the Bible tells us to deal with these things. Um, so, tune in for that next week. I'm really happy to have done this. Um, you know, I'm a, I know I'm a little late on this. The book came out a long time ago, but honestly, if I feel like I have the benefit now of seeing how everyone reacted, who did a good job engaging, who could have did better, and and sort of being able to stand on that and say, okay, I've had time to think about this. I've been slow to answer. Here's what I think. Here's what I think is is right about the book. Here's what I think is wrong about the book, and I can do so in a way that's less reactionary. And uh, so I hope that'll be a blessing to everyone. I hope it'll be helpful to you. And uh, I'll hear, I'll see you next week. God bless. Bye.